everyone. Welcome once again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsythe, alongside my longtime partner, Mike Howerton. We're brought to you by Lucasi Hybrid Cues, Simonis Cloth, and the Tap Leagues. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm uh, relaxing. Haven't been anywhere. Haven't had to go on any trips lately. I'm, I'm uh, enjoying the break. Yeah, I'm getting ready to go out to the trade show and uh, kind of looking forward to that. I want to, you know, it's one time you get to kibitz with all the people in the industry and listen to all the latest gossip and <laughs> see, see what the mood is of the industry. So I'm kind of looking forward to the trip this year. Well, there's definitely enough going on right now to affect that mood. Well, there is a lot going on. You know, before, because, I mean, let's be honest, you and I talked before we do these shows about, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I do want to hit on a couple small things that have have passed through my email box lately that I at least found interesting, and, and I think our listeners might find them a little interesting. Okay. One is a... It looks like a series of videos that are being posted up on YouTube. That seems to be the big thing now. If you can't get a TV deal, you put together a series of videos. And, you know, the Internet is becoming kind of like a television network in in that it has its own stars and it has its own personalities. This particular project is called 8 for Vegas, the movie, and it's available at www8, the number 8, 4, F-O-R, Vegas.com. And this is all about a weekly eight-ball league and the players on a team and how that all comes together. As of now, the first episode is online. It's about five and a half minutes. It's not going to get an Academy Award anytime soon, but, you know, it's interesting. It, it I mean, let's face it, the vast majority of people in this game either are league players or were league players at one time, so they all know what this is about. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. What city is the team out of? You know, I couldn't tell you. I'm guessing someplace on the East Coast. Yeah, looking at the website, it says uh, New York City. There's an awful lot of stuff going on in New York City. That must be a big town. I've heard it is. Yeah, I think they have a baseball team there, but we beat them, so it's no big deal. <laughs> um, not, like a, not a lot of cows in the streets. Probably not. <laughs> the other thing is a podcast, kind of like what you and I do. It's done by a gentleman on the other coast, out in California. His name is Doug Wu, and he calls his show The Doug Who Show. His first episode is up there, and he interviews Stevie Moore and Eleanor Collado. Listen to the first show. It's very interesting. Doug kind of, he sees what's going on in the pool world, and he's wanting to know what he can do to try to help the game. And let's face it, the game can use anybody with positive input. You know, part of the show is him kind of trying to work some things out in his own psyche and talking directly to friends. But the interviews with Stevie and Eleanor are both interesting, and I hope the show continues on. You can listen to his show at http com, and then just follow the links there to programs and Doug Who. It's interesting, and just like the first, the league thing, I'm curious where it'll go. I hope he's very successful with it. I actually hope both uh, individuals are successful with the projects. Well, I'll check them out. And speaking of someone who has insight into the game, we've got a guest coming on later, if we can reach him on the phone, C.J. Wiley. Uh, who has some real insights into the game. And I'm going to be very interested in 
listening to what CJ has to say. Especially going back to what we were talking that we were going to get into, the news right now seems to be this players organization that Johnny has formed. And, you know, they've lined up players from Europe and they've lined up players from the Philippines. And I'm interested in the conversation with CJ because he's been a player. He's ran an organization. He's ran events. So he kind of has experience in everything. Yeah, CJ's depth of experience in this game is something that I'm really looking forward to tapping into, but we'll get into that in just a little bit with him. Let's see. We've got the World Nine Ball Championship going on right now, and um, that should be done in the next couple of days. We'll have a winner of that. I did see that uh, Bustamante got knocked out. I think it's down to two Filipinos, an English player, Mark Gray. I think it's Mark Gray, Dennis Orcoyo. One of the players from Japan, probably Akariyama, mm-hmm. and uh, Alcano, which of course means nothing to anyone listening to this because the tournament will be over by the time you listen to this. Right. We'll be able to talk more about that next time. So right now we'll talk about the Association for Billiard Professionals. Yeah, since, uh, since everyone who hears about it seems to think it's the best thing to happen since sliced bread, you know, we talked to Johnny about this and... We've talked about it briefly at various times, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And still, going back to the conversation that we had with Johnny a couple episodes ago, I'm still waiting to hear what this association can do for the game besides put their demands out there. Well, every time I talk to any of the members of it, it keeps going back to the same thing, that the organization is formed to make sure that the players get paid which is an honorable goal. And I hope they, obviously, I hope they can achieve that goal because the players deserve to be paid. When they show up to go to work and they do their work, they should be paid. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think anybody doubts that. I think where the industry is possibly casting a worried eye is in things like the press release that was released last night as we record this broadcast, where they say that the ABP is sanctioning the World 14-1 Tournament, which is fine. Actually, let me phrase it correctly, the World Tournament of 14.1, right. which is a dragon promotion event uh, that's going to be held up in the New York area. And that's all good and fine. But in the press release, they state that this event will award BCA slash ABP ranking points. And I had not even gotten the press release when my phone started ringing last night. (laughs) And I was asked, did you authorize the ABP to list this as a BCA ranking event? And I said, no. And it was, well, who did? (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out nobody did. So the Billiard Congress of America, the BCA, had to issue a statement of their own saying that the ABP press release is incorrect, that there are no BCA points with this event. And if they want to issue ABP points, you know, well, this is not what the BCA said, but if they wish to issue ABP points for this, they can. But ABP points don't earn you anything except ABP points. <laughs> S&H green stamps. <laughs> yeah. So... There's some worrisome moves being made that have a lot more ramifications than just getting paid. If you go to the ABP website, which is abp-players.com, 
and click on the news section, it gives their sanctioning guidelines. They want people to sanction with them. But if you agree to their sanctioning guidelines as a tournament promoter, then your event cannot be a BCA points event and it cannot be a WPA points event because they want you to use the ABP rules, which are not recognized by the BCA or the WPA. So it, it just appears to me that there could be, there needs to be somebody at the ABP who opens a conversation with the rest of the industry in a cooperative mind frame <laughs> rather than just issuing press releases that say what they want to say. They are not an island unto themselves. They are a part of an industry. They are one of the gears on the machine, and they need to understand that they need the whole machine to work, and they don't need to throw it out of time. Right. And we know that the point list is a major issue with, you know, it has been for quite some time, going all the way back to the UPA. You know, when the UPA was around, that was the main thing that they had as that point list. Now, we also know that when this organization was formed, they immediately asked, hey, we want the point list. And when they were formed, some of the players who made quotes on their website acted as if it were a done deal. You know, here we are, we have formed, so the point list is ours. Next question. Yeah. And we know that the organization was told, we're not opposed to handing the point list over to you once you can show us what it is that you're accomplishing and what your goals are, which makes perfect sense. You can't, you know, the BCA can't be expected to just say, congratulations on your new forming of an association. Here's the point list. Uh, have at it. All they've done is said, look, we're open to giving this to you. Just show us what you're all about. If this is their way of showing what they're all about, putting out press releases that have no basis in fact, how do they expect that the BCA is going to say, you know what, you guys have done everything right, and you guys really seem to have your act together, and why wouldn't we want to give you the points list? That's not going to happen when you're putting out press releases like this that you know aren't true. And, of course, the flip side of it is, half the people who read the press release aren't going to know the entire story, and they're going to think that the ABP owns the point list, which they don't. Right, and the ABP has to understand the caution that the BCA has to have on this matter, because the BCA has made the mistake of rushing into giving the points to men's organizations in the past, and it's never worked out. The men's organizations have wound up using the points as a system of coercion to make players do what they want to do and make promoters do what they want to do and to generate income. If you want to be a ranking event, you've got to be sanctioned by us and you have to pay us. Right. And that doesn't achieve the goal of a points ranking system, which is very simple. The ranking system has to reflect who the best players are in America at the moment to be sent to international competition. Anything else that gets in the way of achieving that goal, well, it cripples the point system. Right. Not one time have we heard anyone from this players organization state that the reason for the formation of this association is for the betterment of pool. Every time it's the players got to get paid. 
Well, I completely agree. Yes, the players do have to get paid. It would be nice if the players got paid more promptly than they've been getting paid in the past. But there is a whole lot more wrong with this game right now other than the players having to wait a little while for their money, or a long while. I mean, let's face it, the players on the West Coast who played in Anagoni's event are still waiting. They have no idea when they're going to get paid. And we've heard stories of major U.S. events where the players had to wait a year to get paid. That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. And it needs to change. But if that changes, if starting today, every event pays the players immediately upon their losing two matches, this game's not going to be any better than it was six months ago. Yeah, exactly. The follow-up to that is if tomorrow every promoter starts paying off Dead on time. As soon as you finish your last match, you get paid. Now what are the goals of the ABP? That concerns me. You know, we talk about the point list, and in the past, the point list has been used as a weapon to convince promoters to do what the organization wants, whether that be pay a sanctioning fee, invite these players, whatever. You know, let's face it again, the players don't have a whole lot of weapons at their disposal here. You know, the promoters, which we can get back to the promoters in a minute, the promoters can just pull up stakes. You know, the promoters can say, I'm tired of losing money. I love the game, but I'm tired of the headaches. I mean, you and I don't even run tournaments, and we get tired of the headaches. If all the promoters, which, again, there's an undertone of... A promoter's organization, if a promoter's organization were to form, now we're going to have a battle between the players and the promoters, and the game gets even worse. But you wouldn't be able to blame the promoters if they were to do something like this. Right now, the players have one ace up their sleeve, and that is, we won't play in your event. How is that helping anything? It's not helping the players. It's not helping the promoters. It's not helping the game. And if I were a promoter and the players came to me and said, yeah, you decided not to do it the way we want. You didn't see the tournament. You didn't whatever. Say, fine, you don't want to play. I mean, this is what happened with the IPT. Now, we know that the IPT, there were a lot of things going on there that we don't really understand. But one thing they knew is... If we put a game out in front of the general public and we tell the general public these are who the stars of the game are, the general public will believe us. The WPA contacted Trudeau and said, great, you want to hold a world championship? Here's the sanctioning fees and these are the things you have to do. And Trudeau said, I'm not doing any of that. And his events happened and the players showed up. The players think that, well, not all of them, some of the players seem to feel that the only ones actually doing anything in this game and the only ones actually deserving of a reward in this game are the best pool players. And that's not the case. They are not the engine that drives this game. And if those players decide to leave the game, the game will continue on without them. Yes, it'll be a little bit less enjoyable, but the game will go on. And I don't think they understand that. But believe me, if they decide to band together and boycott a major event, one of two things happens. Either the event goes on or it doesn't. And neither one of those are good for the players. I'm not optimistic about what would happen to the players in the event of a major boycott. But 
we'll just have to see if that happens and if it plays out. And the players, I really think, they need to get their ideas out there. First of all, they need some ideas. They need something better than just, we need to get paid. With the players, with an organized association of players actively looking for ways that they can help tournaments and help the game itself, that is a wonderful thing. An association of players banding together so that they can make demands is the worst thing that I can think of. And so far I haven't seen a whole lot telling me that they're not that second group. Yeah, I would like to see some members of that group come out and do some really, really positive stuff. You know, show up at events several days early and go around to media outlets and say, I'm available for interviews. Uh, Let's talk about this event that's coming up. Uh, Talk about the game. Let's talk about what a wonderful sport this is. If if it's a TV interview, let me show you some marvelous shots, whatever. But I agree. We need a lot more depth than um, we need to be paid. And, and, you know, we always hear that we need money from outside the industry. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that 100%, but if you were a major contributor who had no knowledge of pool and what you saw of the game right now was the players making demands as to this is the way things need to be or we're going to boycott a major event, personally I'm thinking that an investor would stay as far away from that game as they possibly could. And not to mention, the players need to stop and think about the perception that they're putting out there. It may not be reality. Let's stop and think about this for a second. They've sanctioned one event. It's the World Tournament of 14-1, ran by Dragon Promotions, which is Charlie Williams. And Charlie Williams is a board member of this association. Now, I'm not saying there's anything funny going on, and I'm not saying that there will be anything funny going on. But there is perception there. When the players band together to support a board member, it just doesn't look right. There's too many things that can go wrong. And in that situation, you've got to make sure that everything you do is above board. And then it goes back to the press release of, you know, this is a BCA points event when we know it's not. I mean, how could anyone on the board, there's a board of... Ten guys, Johnny said, and Johnny even mentioned in our interview with him that every one of those ten guys agrees on everything. How can those ten guys, knowing full well that they don't have the points list, agree that it's a good idea to put out a press release that says they have the points list? I know. You know, we can go round and round and bang our heads on the wall, because let's face it, if you're part of the pool game, that's what you have to do. That's what we do all the time. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, we can go around this all the time. Why don't we get CJ on the line? Because he has some past experience running associations. Let's see what he has to say about this. Sounds like a plan. Well, that's just about it for the news of the day. And like we said earlier, we've got a very special guest today, Mr. CJ Wiley. CJ, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. How are you doing today? We're doing real good, sir. How about you? Oh, I'm doing terrific. Great. Hot day in Dallas. Uh, well, it's summertime in Dallas. They're all pretty hot, aren't they? Yeah, yes, indeed. How about bringing us up to date with CJ? I mean, we all followed your career as a player, and we're going to get back and talk about the association that you formed and what lessons you learned from that. But since you quit playing pool on a day-to-day basis on the tournament level, what's CJ been up to? I really uh, stopped playing very much in 98 and 99. I think my last 
ESPN tournament was in 99, which I uh, finished fifth. I got uh, first in 96, and then I was runner up in 97, 98. And Efren beat me out of it in 99. I started a nightclub in Dallas, uh, in the North Dallas area called Carson's Palace. Mm-hmm. And pretty much focused all my time on that. It was a, a huge deal. You know, we put $4 million in it. It was in a bustling area at that time, which did change over the years, you know, with 9-11 happening and, you know, the telecom corridor crashing. A lot of jobs were lost and rearranged up there. So we went through a lot of stuff. It was like playing pool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I got I got good roles, bad roles. I uh, had some good runs and, and not so good runs. But, you know, my real calling is, is uh, to be associated with, with pool and billiards and in some way, shape, or form. And right now, I'm trying to get my game back together, which uh, is like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, I have found out. But I'm making progress. Well, you looked awfully good, frankly, when we saw you uh, at the Ultimate Timball Championship. You didn't look like you had too much more to get back. Well, it's more the competition. I mean, you know, the game, my game, you know, with no pressure is pretty close to the way it has always been, but under pressure is when the little faults come out and the things that, that I need to work on, uh, you know, shows. So it's kind of a tough situation because when I'm practicing, you know, I really don't have much trouble with anything. But uh, mm-hmm. So I have to continue to put more pressure on myself, and then I'm, I'm starting to learn how to do that and uh, watching other players to see kind of how the game has evolved, which is a little bit different now, especially on the equipment side, but uh, I'll just have to get used to it, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess when you were playing, the main table was the Brunswick Gold Crown, and now we've gone pretty much to the Diamonds. How does that affect you, and what do you see as the difference in the tables? Which one do you prefer, for instance? It's a pretty big difference with the rails and the pocket cut, especially. I mean, I prefer the the Brunswick Gold Crowns, just because that's what I grew up on and that's what I played most of my uh, competitive uh, matches on. Mm-hmm. The uh, the rails are just different. Anybody that's played on them knows they're more springy. They're trying right. to improve that, but you know, if you shoot a ball three rails on a diamond, it does not go the same as on Brunswick. And then the look of the pocket, you know, just doesn't fit my eye yet. And I'm having a lot of trouble with the balls, too. You know, we played with uh, Centennial balls. Now they're using these uh, Aramuth, I guess. And uh-huh. they've got the cue ball with the dots all over it. I guess the one with the measles ball. Uh, right. The cue ball plays well. The object balls, you know, I prefer the Centennials by far, uh, honestly. I, I just I'm having trouble. They skid a lot. They just don't yeah. react uh, the same. It doesn't seem like, and it seems to be uh, the case with other players that I've talked to. And then, you know, the rules, jump sticks weren't quite as prevalent back when I was playing, and now people, you know, it's kind of taken away a lot of the skill and kicking, which I think requires a lot more knowledge than, than a lot of the other shots. And that's been kind of taken away, and people just jump over walls all the time, so... We've also gone to 10-ball mainly as opposed to 9-ball. Do you care for the game of 10-ball? Yeah, I, I like it better, actually, because it keeps the corner ball from going in the pocket like uh, with 9-ball. And then they have mm-hmm. the magic rack where uh, 
once you get your break down with the magic rack, it, it's pretty much uh, you start getting a dead ball in the side. The second right. ball up goes in the side. I mean, you still, that's a skill shot, though. So I don't yeah. mind that so much. I mean, there's a few guys that's pretty much got that down. Shane Van Boeing, uh, Corey Duell, uh, a few of them are really good at that. I'm getting better, but I don't have it mastered yet. That brake rack I used for a little while, and I need to get one of those. I borrowed one before I went to the Vegas tournament. It it actually uh, helped me quite a bit, so I'm probably going to get another one of those and start using that to perfect mm -hmm. that brake. To win a major well, tournament, I'm, I'm going to have to perfect the brake for sure. Yeah, that's what everybody says in 9-ball and 10-ball. It's all about the brake. Not all, but it sets up opportunities. It's, it's much like the drive playing golf. You know, if you don't drive the ball well, you don't set up opportunities to score. And that's mm -hmm. more. It's, you know, I think that's a cop-out saying it's all about the break because it's certainly about a whole lot of other stuff, too. Yeah. And yeah. I'll let somebody, uh, you know, I'd rather have the skill than the break uh, in a lot of respects. But um, it certainly does set up the opportunities to score and keep pressure on your opponent. You know, you have some interesting knowledge that I'd like to tap into because the men players have just formed a new professional association, the ABP, Association for Billiard Professionals. If they were to call you and say, CJ, you've walked down this road before, what advice would you give these guys today? Well, I'm not sure what they're... Uh... I have talked to them briefly about it. I know Johnny Archer is... Uh heavily involved and Charlie right. Williams uh, I told them that I would join it because I mean I, I really want to stick with the professionals and, and sure I don't know enough about what they're doing I know that they've had some problems in the past with some of the promoters not paying the prize funds and they're trying to keep the players uh, you know safe or safer from that but you know from a business point of view I explain to them and I hope they understand that sometimes the promoters can't have all the money before the event. I mean, there is a certain amount of gamble and that's true with any business. I mean, I was in some pretty big businesses and I'll tell you what, if I had to pay all the money for the following week up front, yeah. <laughs> I would not be able to operate. So there's yeah. got to be somebody that, that understands that there is a process in business, especially big business, uh, where you do flow money. I mean, you are betting on the come. So I think if they put too much pressure, I told them this, and there again, I, I don't know enough. I'm just kind of uh, giving unsolicited advice to them. But I told them if you put too much pressure on some of these guys, like the U.S. Open and some of these bigger tournaments, you may force them just not to have it. So you're going to end up with, instead of getting paid late, not getting paid at all. So, you know, I think it's six and one, half a dozen another, but, but I still think, you know, there should be a, a solid understanding by the people running this new association with the promoter on exactly what is going on. Mm -hmm. So if there's a delay in payment or something like that, uh, at least they know going in that, that there is a risk. But, you know, there's a risk in, in all businesses and especially if pool's ever going to make some kind of turnaround and get back at least where it was back when I was playing, uh, there's certainly going to be some risk attached to that. So, yeah, uh, no doubt. Did that answer your question? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I mean, I have more about those associations. I mean, it's, it's like I said, I don't know if they're trying to put on tournaments themselves or solicit sponsorship or if they have some kind of a business plan or a projection of, of how they're going to go about this. I really don't have enough information. Uh, well, I'm just kind of curious if, if in your organization, if you stumbled anywhere down the line where you would have said to yourself, darn, I wish I'd seen that coming. Well, I mean, the biggest stumble with me is, uh, you know, I put that million-dollar tour on, and uh, I got these, uh, you know, the prize identification company to put a, much like a hole-in-one contest, as you probably yeah. remember, Brickland Ranch. Oh, yeah. And racks the first day of the tournament. Yeah. That is something I never saw coming, because, I mean, the odds were 7.8 million to one that it ever happened, and it happened the very first day. So Yeah, that was the oddest thing. I'm getting ready to, to put out the real story. You know, I'm getting ready to do a documentary on that. I presume I'll have it done by the end of the year because I'm putting together. I've already got Earl to agree to, to do his part in it. And, uh, I'm going to get a few other people that were there. Jay Helford, I talked to him about it. And uh, that was a, a historic event. But, you know, it also cost me a lot of money because I, I paid Earl the first $50,000 payment that was owed to him. Because that, that was a million dollars, right. so 20-year annuity. So it was $50,000 right. a year for 20 years, and I paid him the first payment with promise that I would pay the rest of them. So it put a lot of pressure on me, and it caused damages. And, you know, that was a, a big ordeal. It took two and a half years to get that money for him. Uh, in the meantime, I crushed my tour. And I couldn't defend myself because I was under a confidentiality agreement and couldn't tell people what's going on. So I can only imagine the rumors flying around. But the truth is, it took that long to get the money, you know. And we did settle for a lump sum. And I, I really don't know how much that was. But, but there again, I hear people talk about how he got less than a million. But the, the honest formula at the time was a million dollar annuity over 20 years was worth 630000 in cash. And anybody right. that's familiar with lotteries or anything like that knows that if you opt to not take the annuity over 20 years, you're not going to get the same amount in cash. You're going to get, at that time, it was 63%. So I want to squash that right now. If anybody's listening that knows that story, the million dollars was never going to be in cash. It was over 20 years. So I think he was going to opt to take the lump sum either way, you know, even if it hadn't taken so long to litigate. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting if you come in, if Earl says what the lump sum was in your documentary, because the rumor for years has been somewhere in the $600,000 area. I really don't know what it is, but it wouldn't be more than that, because 630000 was what it was originally worth. Yeah, I got my 50000 plus my expenses back. That's all oh, good. I was looking for. He got his, and then the attorney's. I know the attorney's fees were, were close to 300000 it seems like, so it was a significant. I mean, there's six cardboard boxes full of paperwork because they basically just paper with this, you know, because they had unlimited resources to do that. This was a big company right. that we were dealing with. Right. So, uh, but anyway, that's another story, and, and I'll go into depth uh, when I okay. uh, talk Mike, I don't mean to shut you out. Would you like to slide in here with a question? You know, I'm curious, back in the late 90s when you were playing, 
I mean, you were one of the upper echelon players. I mean, you were a favorite to win that tournament, and then you just kind of disappeared. Did the the whole ordeal with Earl and the tour and all that, did that help push you out of the game as a player, or was it something else that prompted you to step away from the game? There was a few factors, you know. The uh, you know just the it seemed like the bad luck of that uh, million dollar deal. Something that, that I thought could have been the very best thing that could have ever happened. Uh, you know, it's pretty much you know I was involved with it from start to finish, and I was kind of proud of that to be squashed where it ended up being such a bad thing. It was a little bit disheartening, but really it had a lot to do with just the political side. Uh, pool at that time, and when I really started to understand it, I wasn't ready for some of the uh, some of the situations that I was drawn into. But there was just, you know, there was, there was just some incongruency with the industry and the players and, and who wanted what for whom. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody always kind of thought the industry wasn't big on uh, supporting the professional players, but it, it was more than that. It was just uh, it was pretty. It was pretty intricate you know, psychologically, as I look back, and I, I did do some reflecting. You know, basically there was a lot of people that that, that controlled, and, and you know, I, I, I can't blame them at all. They controlled businesses that, that were kind of mom and pop type businesses that had, had got pretty big. And uh, they were guarding against it getting so big that the publicly traded companies would come in and basically take over because that's always a concern. The Walmarts of the world, <laughs> you know. I mean, right. if you've got if you've got things going well, you really don't want it to change. And so I think that's the problem that's facing the industry right now is because there was no investment in growth and there was no big support behind the professional players that are the advertisement for any sport, just like golf, basketball, football. I mean, the driving advertisement for those sports is the professional players. So when pool and the industry behind the game wasn't ponying up, so to speak, you know, the uh, endorsement money and the prize money to, to keep it on TV, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, when I was doing deals with ESPN, which I was the liaison between ESPN and the players when I had the Professional Peace Sports Association, I mean, I did over 70 shows, and four of them I produced and directed myself. And when I got out of the picture, I, I just don't think uh, anybody was prepared to take that over. I didn't really understand how the TV aspect worked. And I never got a phone call, by the way, from anybody asking me either. Because I would have right. told them, but, you know, I knew how to do the barter deals. And I had something that worked, you know, that you could go to a TV. Because they do want new programs, and they still do. You know, but you have to go to them with a deal that they can recognize and uh, are familiar with. You know, a real business plan, a real projection of how you're going to make money on it or how you're going to grow your audience out there. But I don't know what the numbers are with TV now, but back then, I mean, we were regularly pulling in uh, one-point ratings, which was right. uh, a million people. Now I'm hearing yeah. these streams video, they're, they're bragging about getting like 12,000 to 20,000 people, 
and I played matches in front of 2.8 million people. So, I mean, it's just like a whole different type scenario, and uh, I'm uh, flabbergasted. (laughs) What what do you attribute that to? I mean, I look around at the days when Pooh was big on TV, and frankly, I saw a lot more personalities on TV back then. I mean, I saw Fats with his craziness, and Cowboy Jimmy Moore with his craziness, and Danny Jones, and... All those guys, their personalities came out on TV, and now I see the players much more concentrated on the game itself and not on projecting a personality into the camera. Right. And that is a problem. But, you know, it's kind of evolved through the TV companies. You know, like an ESPN, they don't really care so much about, you know, pool as far as, you know, making it grow and all that. That's not really their job. I mean, they, they're going to do it and do it as cheap as they can, and, and they're going to use it for more like filler, right. where, like golf, for instance, didn't get big because of the TV companies. They got big because Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and Gary Player got together and did a show on Wide World of... Uh, well, they were actually doing that, that show, A Wonderful World of Golf, I believe, is really what, what they first started Right. Doing. Yeah. And, and they showcased the personalities because here is the deal. The deal is people don't want to watch pool right now, and they'll never want to watch pool. Nobody really wants to watch a sport unless they get personally attached to the players. And that's mm-hmm. true. NASCAR has proved that in a big way. Worldwide wrestling has proved that in a big way. Golf, I mean, you know, the Tiger Woods phenomenon proved that in a huge way. But so has football and hockey and all the sports. (laughs) You know, people buy into the personalities and they have a fan base and they follow those players, follow those teams. Because a team is just a synergistic combination of different players. And pool, I mean, I played myself 23 matches on ESPN. I won 21 of them. And they never interviewed me. Now, Wow. I guess somebody could take a position that maybe I wasn't interviewable, but <laughs> I would beg to differ because I do have, I can act any way they would ask me to. You know, I could be a good right. boy, a bad boy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could be loud, I could be quiet, I could be serious, I could be whatever they told me to do to get more viewers, I'm almost positive I could pull it off because, I mean, I was a right. pool hustler most of my uh, adult life. I know I can act. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, this isn't eco talking. This is just a fact. And if somebody didn't believe it, they can ask the thousand people that I've beaten my life and, uh, under different names. And, you know, right. And I mean, I'm joking there, but I'm just saying. You know, think about it. You know, all of these matches with no interviews, and I know I had a certain amount of charisma, just like a lot of those players that I played with at the time. So you know, after enough of that going on, you can see why the players stopped having personalities. Why do you need one? Why would you want one? Why, even if they had one, if it's not appreciated, it's pretty much just second nature to a human being to, to stop trying to be outgoing if nobody's going to appreciate it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what's happened. Because the players today do have personality, but they have just got so used to people not wanting to bring them out that I think, if anything, they have just been kind of, you know, toned down considerably. I'm sorry, I do see some 
some guys coming back, though, with personality on screen. I see a lot of personality on TV from Rodney Morris, Alex Pagulayan, Dennis Hatch. They're guys who aren't afraid to let it out. And, uh, frankly, I'd just like to see more of that, that type of personality on the screen. Yeah, yeah but, but, I mean, still, letting it out, what does that mean? I mean, really letting it out that gets attention is probably going to be more on the negative side. It's going to be only facial expressions and things that they can say or noises they can make. I mean, what I think is <clears throat> there needs to be a concentrated effort, and that's something that I'm involved in now is doing a documentary that captures the personality of the players and only the personality of the players through telling stories, you know, real stories of what happened to them on the road, what happened to them in these different uh, bars, uh, pool rooms, hotels, restaurants. I mean, there's lots of really good stories. If oh, you yeah. group some players together, not necessarily just the pool hustling stories, but... You know, a group that I worked with did a poll and found that only 2% of the uh, age demographics that they were really interested in, which is 1845, only 2% of them would watch pool if it was on TV. So that's not good. But when you ask them, would they watch pool, would they watch a show that had real pool players telling real stories about real events that happened to them, would they watch that? The numbers shot up to the 18 to 34 was over 80%, and the uh, 35 to 45 got almost to 90% of the people said they would watch something like that. So what does wow. that tell you? That tells you yeah. that we've been trying to do it backwards this whole time. We've been trying to get people mm -hmm. to watch pool on TV, which they will not do. They won't do it now, they won't do it tomorrow, and they won't do it a year from now. I don't care if you put a million dollars on every game. It does not matter. They will not watch it. And the question is, you know, why? Uh, well, it's because people first have to be invested in the personalities. They first have to like the player for whatever reason. You know, it could be because they don't like him. You know, I mean, or he's, you know, the Earl Strickland phenomenon. They love to hate him, you know. I mean, Earl, despite some of his, you know, shortcomings, is a crowd pleaser because they don't yeah. know what they do next. But we don't mm -hmm. want to have that type of situation put on this. It needs to be more organized, you know, with interviews. and. But, but I mean, the documentary idea, I think, is the best one. And, uh, and there's a lot more information that I have that I really am not able to talk about. It gets even more specific about what people want to see and, and how we could draw them back into the game. Uh, because the game is is floundering right now, and if somebody doesn't do something quick, I mean, it's it's certainly going to get worse. <laughs> you know? When do you yeah. think we could expect to see these uh, uh, interview DVDs? Well, I mean, the people that I'm working with now, uh, there's probably a six month window of things they're going to have to do. I mean, this this takes money, obviously, that that, uh, that we have most of, but. Uh, we do have to raise a little bit more money. But, you know, we're looking at rebuilding a sport. You know, we're looking at bringing in some other people that have the same dreams or, or ideas and, and, and turn it into reality, you know, where several of us might be able to work together. Mm -hmm. So I wish, you know, this professional organization that Johnny's doing, and is Johnny the main guy? I'm really He's the not. president. He's the president. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish them the absolute best because that 
you know, will be organizing the professional players at the same time as, as I'm doing more of what I think is appropriate. Because, you know, we need both. But I think the order's been out of place. You know, I think, like I said, the, the whole thing is first you showcase the personalities, then you get people watching those personalities play the game. Then the game gets popular. But if you don't do it in that order, I mean, there again, history will prove that we've been doing the same thing for the last 30 years. It's got worse since what you mentioned, the wide world of sports days that, that I grew up in with Moscone and Pats and Cowboy Jimmy right. Moore, and, uh, Jimmy Rimpey and Siegel and some of them were on it, and it was big. But it was yeah, right. because it was huge. personalities. And you know, looking back, it was because I didn't watch that because I wanted to see the great pool. I watched it when I was a kid because Minnesota Pats was like, he was a great personality. And Moscone played kind of a, it takes two to tango. You know, if you've got yeah, one great personality, you got, yeah, you got man. Yeah, you got to have the straight man. So, so that's what Moscone did so well. And, and everybody pretty much knew Moscone was going to win, but, you know, Fats was the entertainer. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that on a very organized level, you know, they're again leaning a lot more towards worldwide wrestling than, uh, ladies golf, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, that's yeah. what I've been told is it's just sterile. Nothing against ladies golf, but it's sterile. It's too bright, too clean, too... Pool isn't that, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the strength that I've always seen in pool is it is... It's kind of got a really mysterious, cool underbelly to it. You know, the gambling and the kind of the, the, the characters and the... You know, it's not squeaky clean. Right. But, you know, neither was The Sopranos or Godfather or, you know, some of these great mob shows or some of these great uh, reality shows. They're, you know, they've got some serious underbelly to them. And, and, that, and yeah. I think that's, until somebody captures that with pool, it's just, it's going to continue to get what it's getting. Nothing, basically. No ground. Well, I, I like your philosophy. I like your reasoning. Then I hope that your project turns out to be a great success because I'd like to see the outcome of it. I really would. Mike, we told this man we were going to keep him about 30 minutes, and we're at the end of that window. Have you got uh, anything else that you want to throw in there right quick? You know, I would like to just take one moment. As all of our listeners know, I'm a couple years younger than Jerry, so I don't have the experience uh, having watched you play as much as Jerry has, but... I had the opportunity in Dallas when you were playing. I don't even remember who you were playing. I remember you didn't win the match, but I did get a chance to come over and watch a little bit of you play. And it was a pleasure watching you move around the table. It reminded me so much of Earl and Rodney in that you made the game look easy. And I just wanted to say that I thoroughly enjoyed watching you play, and I'm definitely happy to see you back competing again. Well, cool. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I've always taken. I mean, it's a, it's been a sport to me. You know, I didn't practice as much as a lot of these players, but I did. You know, I've got 23 years now in the martial arts. Uh, actually, I actually had a lesson uh, earlier today. I've been with the same trainer for 23 years, so I've done a lot of things outside of the game to, you know, be able to compete. You know, because it is an art form. You know, it's a self-expression thing, and that's what I think people uh, find more interesting is just how we're expressing ourselves at the table and, and also, you know, what we do off the table. But uh, I appreciate you saying that because, 
you know, I am getting back into it, and uh, it's got a warm reception. A lot of people uh, talk about how I was an exciting player because I played fast and I was a shot maker. And really, when it comes down to it, you know, if I don't feel like I can entertain people, I really wouldn't have the desire to go through as much work as it's going to take to become number one again because it's a lot of work. Because <laughs> you got a lot yeah. of other people trying to do it too. I still think pl- I have ability, but we'll see. Are you planning on coming up to Turning Stone in September? <laughs> you know, I haven't even looked that far ahead. I'm really taking it like uh, two weeks at a time. I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to Houston or Memphis this weekend because <laughs> there's tournaments, but they're smaller tournaments. But if this is a big tournament that you're talking about, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm going it's one of the BCA ranking events, so it, it yeah. is a big one. It's where all the big guys will be. I plan on playing in all those. I'm playing in Tampa, Florida, right outside of there at uh, Capone's, I believe. Uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend uh, in one of mm-hmm. the seminal events. And then, But I'm going to try to play in all the big ones, and I really want to start playing uh, internationally again. I could have been at the World Championships, but I didn't have my uh, passport. A couple of the players backed out in the last minute. And I did get a phone call to see if I wanted to go, and I just couldn't because I, uh, right. I haven't renewed my passport in a number of years. So that's one of my priorities. I need to, to do that so I can start playing in Asia and uh, Europe again. Right. Well, CJ, we sure appreciate your time, buddy. It was great talking to you, and we look forward to uh, seeing the fruits of your labor both uh, on uh, the big screen and on the uh, green table. Cool, Jerry. I appreciate it. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. You stay out of the heat, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll see you down the we'll see you down the road. I'm sure, buddy. Absolutely. All right. Have a great yeah. day. Bye bye. Well, it was good talking to CJ again. You know, I've always enjoyed CJ Wiley. He's just always been one of those great characters of the game. Whenever you're around CJ, you get entertained, and it doesn't matter whether he's playing pool or having dinner with you. When you're around CJ, you're going to have a good time. Uh, it, like I said to him, it, it was a pure pleasure watching him play, and I kind of feel bad about you know having not seen him play in his prime. I'm going to have to go to our good friend Pat Fleming and find out which videos he recommends to get a chance to see CJ in his prime, and, and hopefully in his prime is more of a prime part one, and we're working towards prime part two. I would love to see CJ back playing in events again. If you haven't had a chance to watch him play, you won't nod off. Trust me. I mean, it, it no, just... No, you won't. Yeah. I've nodded off at, at professional tournaments, and, and CJ will not put you to sleep, that's for sure. He's good pool, no doubt about it. What else have we got to talk about today, or are we just about burned out? I'm just about burned out. Okay. Well, we'll do this again real soon, and hope to have all you folks back. Please do remember that we are brought to you through the good graces of Simonis Cloth and Lucasi Hybrid Cues, and, of course, our good friends at the Tap League. So support them. They support you and us. And right now I'm Jerry Forsythe for Mike Howerton. This has been Runout Radio. We'll talk to you again just real soon.